Father, we're glad to have this time to look into your word, and we ask that you'll give us eyes to see what we need to see, and we ask you'll give us minds and hearts to be receptive and softened and opened to the truth that's there and what we're going to encounter about you and about ourselves. Lord, we uh, worship you, not just with our songs, but even now as we look into your word, we want this to be an act of glorifying you. So we pray you'll make it so. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book of Galatians and very first chapter. So Galatians 1. Galatians chapter 1. I hope that uh, you have in your mind, and even that you maybe are coming here tonight with questions. Uh, And I hope that they are questions about the most important things. Sometimes we we ask questions, but then we we realize that maybe our question uh, really is not all that significant. Maybe it's not even the right question to ask. Uh, Some of you know who Tim Keller is. You've heard his name. Maybe he's a... uh, a pretty well-known pastor from up in New York, he says that we tend to see the Bible as a book of answers to our questions. But if we let the text speak, sometimes we find that we're not even asking the right questions. I bring that up because I'm coming tonight with some questions that I hope you have. Some questions that I hope over the next several weeks or months, that we're going to try to answer together questions that I think are probably pretty significant for our lives together as Christians. So I'm going to read some of these questions that I have uh, proposed to myself, and I want to see if you have wondered some of these things, see if these sound like questions you have asked or would like to know the answer to. Uh, this is my list. We can, we can add to this later. But questions like, How can I know for sure that I'm right with God? Uh, Is it true that I am once saved, always saved? Question like, if I'm a Christian, why do I still struggle with sin? Or closely related to that, if I'm right with God, why do I not seem to be growing spiritually? Or maybe you've wondered... If we're saved by faith alone, why are we also told to do good works? Why do those matter? And isn't requiring Christians to do good works just a form of legalism? Uh, Maybe related to that, does God's Old Testament law still apply to Christians today? And if so, how? Or could my sin be an indication that I've never really been saved? Uh, A couple more. If I've prayed the prayer to be saved, is that enough? Uh, Related to some some specific verses in Scripture. Uh, If the Bible says that holiness is required to see the Lord, does my unholiness mean that I can't go to heaven? And then one more. Uh, If the Bible says that uh, Jesus separates good fruit from bad fruit, Could my bad works mean that Jesus will cut me off and throw me away like he says he does to to bad fruit? Do those sound like questions you've ever wondered? Questions you've ever thought about? Maybe questions you've 
uh, hoped to, to maybe have some clarity to. Um, I think those are some of the, the right questions. I think, I think those are some of the questions that Scripture intends for us to ask and intends to answer for us. Uh, these are some of these are kind of deep matters. Some of these there are not very simple answers to, but that's why we're going to take several weeks and kind of work through some of those questions. Because I think the most important thing we can do in this life is prepare for the life to come. If there really is such a thing as eternal life, how do we take part in it? And not the alternative, which Scripture would say is eternal death. So we're going to search the Scriptures to to see some of these answers. Um, I don't intend to be able to give you all the answers. That's where your small group leaders come in. I've got a limited amount of time. Uh, Your small group leaders are going to also, I think, probably tackle some of these things with you as well. Tonight we're going to begin in Galatians 1, and I actually think many of our answers over the next several weeks are going to come from Galatians, so we'll probably spend a good bit of our time there. Now you've got a bulletin, and uh, in that bulletin you've got an outline, and there's some blanks to fill in. I want to help us work through that outline and to, to talk tonight about this idea of eternal life. Just give you some foundational truths about eternal life. That, verse, uh, that passage we read at the beginning was strategic uh, when John says that he writes what he writes so that we can know that we have eternal life. Okay, don't you want to know that you have eternal life? And again, Scripture intends for us to know that. So let's talk tonight about eternal life and see how even the very beginning of Galatians gives us some very foundational truths about eternal life and how to know that we have it. So, let's look at these three truths. I'll give the first one, and then we'll read from this uh, passage. So, actually, I'll tell you what. Let's do it this way. Let me read the whole passage. It's very short, and then we'll, and then we'll give the outline. Can we do that? All right, Galatians 1. I was going to do it even if you said no. Galatians 1. <laughs> Uh, starting in verse 1. Follow along. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, that's our passage. From this passage, we're going to see three foundational truths about eternal life and how to know we have it. So, here's the first truth. Number one, eternal life gives evidence to the power of God. Eternal life gives evidence to the power of God. Let me give, let me give the, uh, we're going to kind of go through this first verse sort of backwards. So let me, let me give um, the sub point here and then we'll kind of explain what we mean and how this verse helps us to understand this. All right, Eternal life gives evidence to the power of God. How? Here's how. First point. The message of eternal life, the message of eternal life has a definite content. You could say a specific content. There's, there's a specific message that this message of eternal life tells us, and here's the message. The Father raised the Son from the dead. That's the message, that's the content 
of the message of eternal life. The Father raised the Son from the dead. Because if someone can come back from the dead, that must tell us that life has power over death. Right? Death does not have to have the last word. Life can have the last word. And life can be eternal. So eternal life gives evidence to the power of God. And the message of, of eternal life is that the Father raised the Son from the dead. You see that there in, in verse 1, right? His apostleship is not from man or through man. It's through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. If God did not raise Jesus from the dead, then not only do we not really have any hope of eternal life, we don't really even have this thing called Christianity. Like there is no Christianity, there is no true Christianity if Jesus is still dead, right? So if you want to just be as simple in, in describing and thinking about Christianity as possible, I think you could just simply say, God raised Jesus from the dead. That's what Christianity boils down to. Because if Jesus isn't alive, there is no Christianity. That's the message of eternal life. So when you and I are thinking about eternal life, our hope in eternal life, our hope that we can live forever, is that Jesus got up from the dead. Okay, we all know we're going to die. But we can have hope that death doesn't have the last word. We can have eternal life because Jesus was raised from the dead. That's the content of our message. So when we're trying to give hope to other people, when we're trying to share the message of eternal life with other people, that's the hope we offer them. God raised Jesus from the dead and he can do the same for you. That's the hope we offer. That's the message of eternal life. Here's the next point. The messengers of eternal life, that would be people like us, that would, that would I think to some extent be all Christians, the messengers of eternal life are divinely commissioned. Commissioned. What does it mean to be commissioned for something? Yes. That's exactly right. You're sent out with a task to do something. You're commissioned, all right? You're given a command, you're given an assignment, and you're told to go accomplish that assignment. So, here's how this is explained in this verse. The Father and the Son are senders. The Father and the Son, Jesus Christ and God the Father, are senders. They send messengers of eternal life. So the very beginning of this verse, Paul is an apostle. What does, it, what does the word apostle mean? Does anybody know? It very simply means one who has been sent. sent. Yeah, sent out. Okay. Now, uh, I think... Um, that probably the way that Paul is an apostle is, is probably uh, unique to him and some of the other apostles we read about in the Bible. In other words, I don't think that you and I are apostles in the sense that we're commissioned exactly the same way that Paul and, and even like the, the 12 that followed Jesus. Um, I think there was an office of apostleship that doesn't necessarily apply to us today. In fact, Pastor Adam mentioned the same thing Sunday morning, so he and I agree, so that's good. But... You and I, in the same way, are commissioned, aren't we? Are we to be sent out with a message from God? How do we know that? Right. There's, there's this passage at the, end of, uh, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew that we call the Great Commission. And it applies to how many, how many believers? All of them, right? All of us are 
commissioned. All right, so an apostle is one who is sent. And, and they're not sent by men. You notice that phrase, he's an apostle. Not from men nor through man. So this isn't just some idea that some person came up with. This is God's commissioning. This is God's assignment for his people. Jesus still commissions his people just as God commissioned Jesus. So there's a verse near the end of John's gospel, John 20, 21, where Jesus tells his followers, he says, as the Father sent me, now I am sending you. So you and I are sent out by Jesus to accomplish the same thing that Jesus was sent out to do by his Father, and that is draw people to God. So this verse, these observations emphasize Jesus is God, but he's not the Father, right? There's a distinction through Jesus Christ and God the Father. But this is a God-given task. This is a God-given message. And if God raised Jesus from the dead, then this is evidence of the power of eternal life. All right, that's the first truth. Here's the second truth. Eternal life is embodied by the people of God. It's embodied by the people of God. Notice that... Paul mentions other people in the writing of this letter. He says, I'm the one writing the letter, but in verse 2 he says, and all the brothers who are with me. So he's got people that he's serving alongside, which tells us this. You could write this in your notes. Gospel ministry is a group effort. Gospel ministry is a, is a group effort. Paul had brothers with him, probably brothers and sisters, probably men and women, probably a whole crew of people serving with him. And if he needed partnerships in his work, do you think we do? Absolutely. We need one another. Right? That's the whole point of of the church is that we shouldn't do this alone. We need one another. I need you and you need me. And when he writes this letter, who does the the end of verse 2 who does it say that this is to? To the Yeah, to the churches of Galatia. So he's not even writing just to one group of people in one church. He's writing to who? Churches. Multiple churches within a region. Okay? Multiple churches. So he's not favoring one body over another. He's writing to whole churches and multiple churches within a reason. So a region. So this ministry is a group effort. He needed to get this message of eternal life out to all the churches. And then notice verse three. Here's what we can take away, I think, from verse three. Gospel ministry requires godly encouragement. It requires godly encouragement. So he wishes grace and peace to those who receive the letter. And we see, you know, if you're just familiar with reading Paul's letters, he does this really to to all that he writes to. But who does the grace and peace come from? How does he write it? Grace to you and peace from, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this isn't just Paul saying, I wish you well. This is Paul saying, I wish you the grace and peace of God. The grace and peace that comes from God alone, I am sending it to you. So this is grace and peace from God. This is through the church, and it is to other churches. So this is, this is divine, this is godly encouragement. This is peace from God coming out from believers to other believers And it's all centered on this message of eternal life. They all are embodying this eternal life together. So that's the second truth. Eternal life is embodied in the people of God as they encourage one another. 
and as they work together in the ministry. All right, here's the third truth. Eternal life explains the plan and purpose of God. It explains the plan and purpose of God. So if you want to understand what God's purpose is, you probably will come up with something related to eternal life. Now here's how he explains this. Here's how I think he makes this clear. Uh, In verse 4, we are told that Jesus gave himself for our sins. So in this verse, Paul is going to explain what Jesus did, why he did it, how he did it, and why he did it the way he did it. So let's break it down that way. What did Jesus do? He, in verse 4, yes, gave himself for our sins. Jesus came to the earth. We celebrate, you know, we just celebrated Christmas. We celebrated Christmas, the incarnation, the coming of the Son of God into human form, and mainly he took on human form so that he could what? Could die. That he could give himself for our sins. That he could substitute himself in our place by laying down his life as a sacrifice for sins. But, as we read in verse 1, God raised him from the dead so that Jesus has victory over sin so that all who turn from their sins and trust Christ can also have victory over sin and death. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Now, why did he do that? That's explained in the next part of the verse. Why did Jesus give himself for our sins? To do what? There you are. To deliver us from the present evil age. To deliver us from the present evil age. If you're delivered from something, that would mean that you're spared from it, right? You're brought out of it. It could mean you're rescued from it. And what are we rescued from? From the present evil age. Now that's interesting. You say, oh, I, don't, I don't really see the words eternal life in this passage. How do I, you know, how do I know you're not stretching this? Well, here's, here's what I think eternal life is actually pretty clear in this passage. It's like Jesus is saying to us, there's more than just this age. There's more than just this life now. Jesus gave himself for your sins to deliver you from the present evil age. In other words, don't just live for what you can gain on this earth in this short amount of time. Live for the ages to come, the ages of the ages. And we'll see how that's true uh, in the next phrase and in the next verse. Okay, so what did he do? He gave himself for our sins. Why? To deliver us from the present evil age, to, to deliver us from short-term living. How did he do it? According to the, uh, to the end of verse 4 there. According to the will of God our Father. Jesus was always compliant with the will of of God. He always was obedient and sensitive to the will of his Father. He delivered us from the present evil age because it was the will of his Father. It was the plan of God. The plan of God is for you and I to be delivered from the present evil age so that we can have life eternal. And why did he do it that way? Why did he do it according to the will of our God and Father? Verse 5 says he did it for the eternal glory of God. Verse 5, to whom, to the Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Forever and ever. That's a phrase that would help us to think of what? 
eternity, forever and ever. Again, the ages of the ages, delivering us from this present age so that our focus will be on the glory of God, which we know will go on forever and ever. The plan and purpose of God is to glorify Himself by delivering people from this present age, which can only happen when we accept that Jesus gave Himself for our sins. Now, here's how I specifically hope that this is comforting and maybe even would answer some of those questions we posed at the beginning, okay? So so let's, let's close by thinking about the angle of our, we'll call it security. How do we know that we can be secure in Christ for all of eternity? Well, I think it would relate even to these three points, these three truths. You and I can be secure, can know that we're secure in Christ because our security is in the power of God. If God's the one who keeps us, do we ever have to worry about Him letting us go? Not not if we believe what we sung tonight. Okay, even right there at the end, what did we sing? No power of hell and no scheme of man can ever do what? Can ever pluck us from His hand. Jesus Himself said that in in John 10. My Father who gives them to me is greater than all. No one can pluck them out of my Father's hand. So you and I have security in the power of God. We practice that security as the people of God. Okay, You and I need one another in some sense, I think very realistically, we need one another to stay saved. Now that might sound contradictory to, well, if Jesus keeps us, but listen... I think that I probably would not be a Christian if it weren't for some of you in this room. Like, I really think I probably would give up and find another way. You and I need one another to stay secure, to stay grounded, to stay focused, to not give in to this present evil age, right? So so we practice security when we're with one another, assuring one another of the truths that we claim we believe. And then, we're secure because it is God's plan and purpose to keep us secure. If God purposed to send His Son to deliver us from the present evil age, do you think He purposes to give us back to that present evil age? I don't think so. I think He rescues us and delivers us at the cost of His Son's life to keep us forever and ever. So again, our security is in His plan and His purpose. And it's in His power and it's helped by His people. God wants His children to have confidence in Him in the life to come. Now, we can put that confidence in the wrong places, which is where some of those doubts come in, which are some of the questions that we're hope, we hope to answer in the coming weeks. So, I would urge you, don't shy away from those questions. Okay? Go to the Scriptures with them. Make, make sure your questions align with Scripture and see the answers that are there. And that's what we hope to do in the coming weeks. And I hope tonight gives you some firm footing to even be encouraged about what those answers are. So, we're going to break into groups. We'll talk about these things. Let's pray before we do that. Father God, we're glad for your power that keeps us, that purpose to send your Son to be given for our sins, that we could be delivered from this 
age so that we might have hope in the age to come. We know that you did it for your glory and for our good, and we give you praise for that. Help us as we do try to live these things out with one another, uh, that we would stir one another up to love and good works and to the things that would give evidence to our faith, the things that would show the world that we really do believe what we claim we believe. So help us as we discuss these things in groups, that you'll cement these things in our hearts and minds and lives uh, so that we can live securely as your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.